Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we talk crypto regulations. That in headlines today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Thursday, September 30th, 2021. The last day of September, we go into Q4 tomorrow, which means that we can be looking for companies' Q3 reports to come out in a couple weeks or a month, see if they bought, sold, or hodled Bitcoin. We're going to see if the stock-to-flow model holds for another month. And beautiful fall colors. Uh, But we're not going to start with all that, my rambling again. But I do have actually more to the never-ending saga of USDX. I never thought that one coin is going to give me so much emails and a pain in the butt as just this USDX. And the reason why it's a pain in the butt, because apparently there's two USDXs. There's Lighthouse USDX, which is ranked number 833 with no volume or whatever on CoinMarketCap. And there's a Kava USDX, which is ranked like 301. And what? what? Why is there two USDXs? Well, the crypto space, damn it. The crypto space. Actually, I'm sorry. USDX Kava is ranked number 325. This is not the coin of the day, but I have to read this email because I like full transparency and I like to tell you what's going on and I like to make sure that people have input into the conversation. So Luke wrote me and said, USDX confusion. I'm a huge fan of the show, but there's something you said today that concerns me and I think it warrants correction. You said USDX is the Kava stable coin and it's not dead, which is true. But USDX for Kava is number 325, as we said on CoinMarketCap, which is likely what your listener was referring to. Lighthouse USDX appears to be the shit coin on CoinMarketCap ranked 888. Those are two very different coins with the same tickers. Why are they doing this? He continues to say that Kava is not perfect, but I believe in the ecosystem for many reasons. I hodl it for the long term with current staking rewards of 20%. <laughs> You guys listen to the show, you know what I'm going to say there. And the stablecoin is relatively stable at the price of $0.96 as of now. Again, stablecoin should be pegged one to one. $0.96 is not one. It's at $0.98 right now. And the spread between 4%, 4% between $0.96 and a dollar, and maybe what it is up to 8% if it's a dollar four, that's big. He continues to say that they have a long way to go for this project, but this project is far from dead. As for Lighthouse, I have no insight. Keep up the great work. I listen every day, and every day you find a new way to open the eyes to a new slice of the crypto universe. It's great. Cheers, Luke. Luke, thank you for that email, and I I hope this is it. If you guys are listening and have more emails to USDX, can you please just send them all at once so we could finish this USDX saga? I would not ever have imagined that we have two USDXs that are both stable coins, and I had to go back and forth to clarify. So just in summary, there is two USDX, one USDX for Kava and one USDX that is made by Lighthouse. Lighthouse is ranked 888, which was like the coin of the day the other day. Uh, I said it was dead. 
It looks like it's dead, but that's not the USDX. That's on Kava, which is ranked like 325 today. And that one is a stable-ish coin that is being used on Kava, and it is not dead. So never fear. There's two USDX. And I want to say thank you to John and thank you to Luke for the emails to go back and forth to tell me <laughs> the difference between the two. Um, yeah. Now let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And I'm recording this at 11.11 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $43,141, up 2.1% in 24. Ethereum, $2,985, up 1.8%. USDT, Cardano's in the number four spot at 2010 cents, pretty much even. And Binance Coin is up 1.3% at $380. Running off the top 10, we have XRP, Solana, USDC, Polkadot, and Dogecoin. Total market cap. 1.9 trillion. BTC dominance, 42.7. F dominance, 18.4. And now it's time for coin of the day. Coin of the day is Render Token, ranked number 301 on coin market cap, ticker RNDR. And I have a bonus here because they were on the show with Beeple. If you guys remember Beeple, NFT creator, sold his NFT for like 63.9 million dollars and well they were on the show on oh let me check my notes the the link is in the show notes it's people and render on the show on june 16th so check the link in the show note if you want to hear the chat with people and render on june 16th on this show current price of render is 84.7 cents it's down 1.2 percent in 24 market cap is 141 million dollars a fully diluted market cap of 455 million dollars that means 31 percent of render is in circulation and you can buy render on hobby kucoin gate.io and uniswap what does render do well actually this is pretty damn cool i think it's a really amazing idea and render is a distributed gpu rendering on the blockchain so here's what this is is that when you make big art, and that's why Beeple is on there, he wants to do complex art, he wants to try new things, and when you are doing these new things in these, you know, ultra HD, uh, 3D virtual either worlds or art, you know, it takes a lot of GPU or computing power to render these images. And like if you're doing movies or special effects, you would need it's very expensive equipment to be an individual artist at home and render these. As people said on the show, it might take a day to render one idea he has. And then if he doesn't like it, he has to start over and then try something else. And then it takes a day, walk away from his art instead of just, you know, create this flowing process. Well, this distributes the GPO workload to many computers in a decentralized fashion, pays them in render to basically put their GPU power onto this network to allow digital artists or people that need the large amount of gpu power that it's not like a movie studio or a multi multi-millionaire artist or uh, so you can be an individual and have access to the gpu power needed to produce your work i think it's a great idea anyway that's render check out the conversation in the show notes from june 16th with people and render in our main conversation today, I want to talk about regulations. And so I invited Chris Matta, president of the Blockchain Association of New Jersey and president of 3IQ onto the show to talk about it. Thanks for having me, Matt. I got an email, you know, asking 
to have you on the show and I was looking at your bio and it said blockchain association regulations, lobbying, you know, advocacy, trying to figure out how these regulations or frameworks are going to go with these new legislations that are being proposed daily. I've heard it through the grapevine that Q4 is going to be gnarly. Like that was probably the quotes, uh, gnarly when it comes to regulations that are coming out of Washington. Uh, This is going to be a very general talk about like different regulations. But first I want to just uh, ask you, what do you see coming down the pike uh, when it comes to regulations for Q4 and Q1? Yeah, so I think there's a few major things on, on the on the roadmap right now that everyone's talking about. Obviously, the the ETF is, is a big one. That's something that's you know been talked about for years. I've been personally involved in that at, at my at my prior firm, my asset management shop that I started back in 2017. Um, got involved in in filing for one of the B- Bitcoin ETFs back in the round of 2018 when it was Van Eck and Bitwise and others. So I think that's something that's that's obviously uh, uh, been a focus every single year since probably 2013, 2014 in the crypto space and, and is um, is a barometer for uh, regulatory acceptance, I think, in the U.S. So that's something that's on the roadmap. I think October 15th is the date that um, the SEC is due to, to give comments on a handful of the futures based uh, ETFs. It's very likely that you're going to see those um you know, uh, delayed. There is, of course, always a always a, the potential for for an approval. Um, but I would I would guess that it will. I, my probability would be higher on on the fact that it will be pushed out a little a little longer. Um, beyond you know the ETF space, obviously there's it, it, it's anyone's guess. There's been a lot of talk from the SEC and from other regulators around uh, you know stable coins lending platforms, exchanges, how we need to regulate these, where they fit into the, into the, um, into the regulatory framework. And so I think there's uh, a big focus, especially with the new administration here at the SEC. Um, you know, the CFTC uh, uh, just brought down a, a ruling, I think, or an enforcement action yesterday or sometime earlier this week around um, uh, unregistered uh, options trading platforms. None of them were really major major names, but the, in the five years I've been in the space, uh, I don't think we've seen uh, as substantial of a microscope being on the on the crypto space from the regulatory perspective as we are right now. What's the holdup with the ETF? I mean, look, they keep c- kicking the ball down the down the road or court or down the field or whatever you want to say. It's down there somewhere. And you just mentioned, you know, you were t- working on ETFs for years. We've been hearing about it in the crypto space for years, ETF, ETF, and then they deny it and or they kick the ball down the, the field. Um, what is the holdup? Yeah. So it, when when the process started seven plus years ago, you know, the, the SEC listed a handful uh, or probably more than that, probably seven or eight. Uh, citations for why they weren't comfortable with approving a Bitcoin ETF. And that ranged from, uh, you know, liquidity and trading venues, lack of regulation around there, uh, potential market manipulation concerns, lack of custody, arbitrage issues. There was a whole host of of reasons that they they had concerns. Over the years, uh, those concerns have been whittled down to the last administration uh, upon rejecting the the last round of ETFs in 2019, it really boiled down to market manipulation concerns. Um, the new administration that's now come in under under Gary Gensler 
um, is taking a, a similar approach, but I think there's some nuances there where it's not just concerns around market manipulation, but it's also concerns with the lack of regulatory infrastructure around crypto uh, exchanges where, where the majority of Bitcoin volume is. And so I think the major holdup for, for the SEC is looking to, um, and, and you could question the motivations, whether it's you know, trying to get more resources, uh, trying to accumulate more control around being able to regulate these exchanges, or just advocating for other regulators to be able to oversee these exchanges, looking to get these spot crypto exchanges into a more substantial regulatory framework, um, because they don't really fall under the purview of the SEC, and they don't really fall under the purview of the CFTC because they're not derivatives. And so um, I think that's why you started to hear more more comments from Gary Gensler that a futures-based ETF would would be able to potentially uh, is a structure that they may be more comfortable with versus a spot or physically backed uh, Bitcoin ETF. That is because the CFTC has regulatory oversight over the CME Bitcoin futures, and, and so that gives some comfort to the SEC. However, I will say, you know, similar to the previous administration's concerns around market manipulation. The fact was there's all these other exchanges that are outside the U.S. that are, that impact the price of Bitcoin and drive the price of Bitcoin. Even if you have a futures based uh, you know, ETF, the spot price of Bitcoin obviously influences the, the, the pricing of the futures. And so it doesn't really um, uh, work around that issue. Uh, but from the SEC standpoint, maybe it, it gives them a little more air coverage. So Bitcoin ETF this year, yes or no? I say no. All right. Are they wrong? Is Gary Gensler wrong for having concerns, for trying to make frameworks, for trying to um, figure out where this fits in before approving ETFs or, you know, allowing the um, space to, I guess, still be the Wild West? Um, it's it's a good question. Uh, I think we can look at, so I, I like you mentioned at the top, I, I'm the president of an asset management firm called 3IQ, which is headquartered in Canada. And 3IQ actually is uh, launched the first publicly traded Bitcoin products in North America. And, and we went to the mat with the OSC, the Ontario Securities Commission, essentially the equivalent of the SEC in Canada. We went to the mat over a three or four year period with them to educate them. And, and ultimately, it, it, it resulted in a, in a public uh, a court. Uh, hearing where we we presented arguments and the OSC presented arguments and it came down to a judge's decision around if we could launch uh, the, the, this publicly traded uh, Bitcoin product. And so, you know, the the that forum gave us the opportunity to, to air out why we think the market manipulation concerns weren't warranted, why there was liquidity. But I think the key factor that happened in Canada was the Quadriga incident, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And so, uh, the, the regulators stood behind. It wasn't in the, the best interest of, um, you know, of, of individuals uh, to have this publicly traded uh, Bitcoin product. But the Quadriga incident really undermined, you know, that argument, right? $250 plus million of, of retail investors' capital was, was lost, Canadian retail investors' capital. And so I think that really prompted the regulators to get over the hump in terms of, okay, we understand why a publicly traded, regulated, and fully structured vehicle to get people exposure to Bitcoin could be beneficial for a lot of investors. That moment hasn't really happened in the US, you know, which I think is a testament to Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, and the other US exchanges that have been, you know, 
followed the regulatory guidelines, have had great security infrastructure, and haven't had one of these major breaches. But the downside of that is it hasn't gotten regulators to necessarily move the same way it did in, in Canada. And this is the time we knock on wood, by the way, knock on wood. I want to <laughs> yes. move over to uh, uh, BlockFi since you are actually in New Jersey and New Jersey is, um, I think they're just looking at BlockFi because and you can probably just you know correct me with this. I'm going totally off the top of my head with this. They're looking at the new platforms like BlockFi and the interest that they're paying on, you know, their uh, collateral that they're holding, uh, paying good interest. They're saying that they're securities. So they're either trying to either regulate them or sue them or tell them that they can't operate within New Jersey. Texas is also going to be, uh, is also part of that as well. What is happening with that? And uh, what does that look like moving forward? Yeah, so I think this is a broader uh, a broader issue versus a state by state issue, right? Like I think there's a handful of states that have um, uh, brought concerns up around these these lending platforms with with BlockFi and others, and now you're seeing like uh, the SEC uh, comment on this as well. And I think it's it's multi layered. Part of it is uh, you know there's these stable coins involved in a lot of these lending platforms, and it's unclear. From a, from a regulatory perspective, how these are going to be treated. The SEC has recently made a variety of comments around how they could be treated as, as securities. And I think um, I think that's part of the, the challenge here. I think you can liken stablecoins to a lot of other um, a lot of other uh, historical types of um, you know uh, uh, American Express traveler's checks or other other vehicles that make it easier to utilize you know US dollars. And uh, and so it, it's going to be important to get that definition from the regulators, but clearly from both the state level and and the the federal level, like like with the SEC, you're seeing this focus around these lending platforms. Does it have to do with stablecoins and and the fact that they could be securities? Does it have to do with the fact that the lending themselves are securities? And I think when you go back to case law, and to be clear. I'm not a lawyer, but the, the basic research that I've done, when you go back to case law, lending is generally not considered, you know, direct lending is generally not considered uh, a security. But the definition of a security, you know, this investment contract is extremely broad. And so, um, it, it, you know, it, it's really and up a to little the, dated uh, and, and, and dated, of course. Yes, these are. And that's pro- part of the issue, I think, with the crypto space as a whole and uh, and and needs to be addressed in a bigger way is that we're relying on so many regulatory infrastructure uh, uh, laws and precedents that are extremely old and don't necessarily fit the crypto space exactly. Um, and so you're, you're trying to apply those rules. Um, you never had historically uh, assets that were starting as securities and turning into commodities, right? Which is what I guess a lot of folks have postulated around certain smart contract platforms that have gone from being relatively centralized to decentralized over time. Ether is, is, is an example of that. And so these definitions, how BlockFi falls in with their interest-bearing accounts and the lending uh, for, from an investment con- contract perspective versus how stable coins fall into that, versus how these platforms that go from centralized to decentralized fall into that. These are all really difficult uh, issues. And I think, in my view, what's more important is for the space to band together self-regulatory organizations, advocacy groups, which, of course, there are many, and I think that's only growing, but to really find a way to engage with the regulators. And I would hope that the regulators like the SEC are open to more engagement from the community, because I think that's been part of the concern up till now is there's a feeling of, 
you know, a lot of these conversations are having being had without the engagement of the community. So I think both sides need to be better and try and meet in the middle and hopefully create something um, new uh, versus, you know, the current cadence of putting out enforcement actions on, on random projects here and there to try and set precedents. Well, out of time here, we only have a couple more minutes, but I want your opinion on a couple of things. Do you see a, an, a political agenda with these um, regulations that are coming out? It's hard to say. I, I, you know, I think the SEC and others feel like their backs are against the wall, right? Um, I, I try and look at it from their side. They see a lot of token issuances that look like securities. There's a lot of innovation happening in the space. And so they're looking at this like we need to be in there and we need more resources to do that, right? So they're, they're, there's always a political aspect to this where they're going to be advocating for more resources, which I think is, is understandable, right? They want more resources to understand, learn this space and, and be able to regulate it accordingly. So I think there are, there's always going to be political agendas. At the same time, you know, their mandate is to protect the individual investor and, and hopefully you know, they don't lose sight of that. Last question. If regulations come down, how detrimental do you think that it could be um, if the wrong regulations are in place for the U.S. economy and the future of uh, the U.S. economy? I think this space has showed time and time again how resilient it is. Bitcoin, crypto assets. I mean, ICOs uh, were, were, were obviously a big blip in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a disaster, man. It, <laughs> ICOs it, were a disaster. It, it was a disaster. And, and so, you know, regulators came down hard on that, right? But did the space go away? No. Did good things come out of, out of the ICO era? Yes. Was there a lot of bad things? There were, but I think going forward, it's gonna be the same thing. There's going to be new innovation that can't really be slowed down in the crypto space. You have DeFi, you have NFTs, you see how these things are, are, are growing so rapidly. The regulators are gonna play catch up. They're gonna try and put rules into place to, to hopefully eliminate a lot of the bad actors and, and promote the good actors. Um, will innovation slow down from this? Probably, uh, but will it stop? Absolutely not. And I think that will continue just like we've seen over the last four years or three years since the ICO crackdown happened. Um, and, I, and so I think it, it could hobble us a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm confident for the long-term prospects. And the U.S. is far beyond where you know, China is trying to stop crypto across the board. You know, we have publicly traded companies. It's, we have definitions around how, how Bitcoin is treated from a, and, and other crypto assets are treated from a regular, regulatory standpoint. So I'm confident that, uh, that the space will continue to grow. Chris Matta, thank you very much for coming on the show, talking about regulations. And I hope to have you back on when we get that Bitcoin ETF. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. All right, brother. Take care. And really quick, moving into some headlines. Billionaire investor Chamath Palihapitiya, as you guys know, I'm a big fan of the All In Podcast. Listen to it. It's a damn good podcast. He has said this to CNBC's Scott Wapner in quote, It's very hard for me sitting here to give you a price prediction, but I can pretty comfortably say that Bitcoin, I think, has effectively replaced gold. It will continue to do so. And so that market cap is just going to grow. Man, I love when billionaires go on the news and are bullish. Dogecoin co-founder Billy Marcus said, in quote, there's two things I believe that would help Dogecoin, the completion of the Doge F bridge and NFT platforms, example, OpenSea, allowing for a Doge F token to be used for purchases. The question is, are we going to get that? While the cryptocurrency protocol Zilliqa just announced today their Ethereum Zilliqa bridge. And finally, 
Kraken Security Labs has identified multiple security risks in commonly used Bitcoin ATMs. They said that there's potential hardware and software vulnerabilities. That line of Bitcoin ATMs is General Byte's Bitcoin ATM. If you want to know more, link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. And until tomorrow, for our weekly roundup, happy hodling, everyone.